I'm forever going to be trying to figure out how to start the show. So <laughs> bear with me until we find something that sticks. But uh, welcome back uh, to the newest episode of Cake Bites. And uh, with me today is Brian Cullen. He is most often recognized for a little game called Rampage. You may have played it in the arcade as a kid. Maybe World Tour on the N64, or maybe you've most recently seen trailers for a movie called Rampage featuring Dwayne The Rock Johnson. But Brian is the artistic mastermind behind Rampage and its iconic style, and I I was so blown away by the opportunity that I had to sit down and chat with him and Patrick Scott Patterson at the Houston Arcade and Pinball Expo. So, I mean, really, just without further ado, here is Brian Cullen. Went to school at Southern Illinois University, majored in film production, and uh, I I was uh, I'd made a lot of films in high school, and then in college I kind of switched over to animation. I'd always been an artist, although I never thought of myself as an artist. You know, an artist is somebody that paints, not that just does cartoons and fun stuff. So, but I I switched over to animation because. Um, in college, unlike my friends in high school, you know, actors you sign on for a huge, expensive college project decide they're going to go home in the middle of the next semester or whatever. So, um, I did films in college, but I switched over to animation, and that was the right thing because I had kind of a total control, and I and I was fortunate in that it won a lot of awards around the world. Awards Festival of Comedy in the uh, Chicago. Um, the Chicago Film Festival oh, and wow. the Cine Eagle and the Focus Awards. Uh, Hugh Hefner's parrot bit me in the grotto. That's, is I mean, that good luck or what? Huh? I don't know. It hurt, <laughs> it hurt for years, every time the weather had changed. So, I mean, that was fun, and uh, and I thought I was going to be an animator until I actually, uh, uh, and I you know hit New York, hit the ad agencies, hit everything, and they said, you know, oh, this is great. You're going to have no trouble finding a job somewhere else. And... Uh, Finally took a job at an animation company, and it was the most mind-numbing, boring three hours. The test, I took, not took a job, I took a test, and the test was horrible. <laughs> I didn't realize entry-level animation wasn't just me getting to do my stuff. It was, you know, it was um, copying other people's art and doing the in-betweens. And so I did not take that job, um, and it was New York, which much higher cost of living, and I came home, and I just started doing ads for local papers and you know just kind of worked in a little studio in my garage you know with my cat on my shoulder every mm-hmm. night it was kind of fun and then answered an ad at Valley Midway and now I'm going on beyond, beyond what you asked so I'm gonna shut up no 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 because that's exactly where I want to transition this into is uh you said it was an ad that you answered is it in the paper right just an ad in the paper um it said artist animator wanted wow Valley Midway and I'm thinking well what would the I know Valley Midway makes pinball, so what would they want an animator for? Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, brilliant guy like I am, I thought, oh, because they paint on glass. And as a cell animator, they need someone who can paint on glass, thinking like they would hand paint every back glass. But it's like, that's what <laughs> they need. Talk about tedious. Yeah, well, but again, th- that I enjoyed, because it would be my own art. And uh, and so I got in, and, and they were great, and they, they had uh, seen my, my film, and um, and they said, no, we're doing jobs for video games, which at the time was not terribly exciting and not anything I could conceive of doing. Um, but uh, they offered me the job, and um, uh, 
George Gomez, uh, who's I'm, I'm name dropping now just because it's okay. He was he, doing it too. <laughs> well, just because, it's just important. because I'm not sure who's going to be listening to this stuff, but I'll mention people throughout. Feel free to edit that stuff out, but there are people that deserve credit. He Absolutely. Was, he was, uh, he was, uh, he was a mechanical engineer technically. Um, but he did a lot of, he was basically the heart when I got hired and he was one of the guys that interviewed me and, uh, offered me the job a few weeks later. And I, I, when I hung up the phone, I made the comment to a friend who was standing by. It's like, that's it. Childhood's over. You know, I've got a real job because uh, <laughs> I couldn't turn down the fantastic salary that they were offering me, which was like 14 grand a year. Or mm-hmm. And, but I was dead wrong because everything about stumbling into that industry at that time was there was one creative challenge after on a day-to-day basis we were doing new things not just new to me mm-hmm. but what I was bringing to the table just the ability to do animation was something that their their pixel artists didn't have and that alone that plus you know my particular bent and everything it it was a a tremendous time to stumble into the industry and learn to become a designer. Um, learn, basically, I became a designer out of self defense because mm-hmm. you work with one team and an artist in those days. And I mentioned this in the panel. The artists in those days were lucky because whereas a program was stuck, programmer was stuck with one game for X number of months. Artists worked on everything, so I could work with you know Joe down here and. Jeff over here and Sarge over here and you just got to see who did what and which ones went smoothly and which ones were agony um, and you start realizing that you know planning this stuff out you know this guy does everything see the pants and his whole philosophy is let's try this no that doesn't work let's try this no that doesn't work and uh, so it was a great time to kind of say all right there's a there's a better way to do these things and management and my co-workers were receptive to trying everything or almost everything <laughs> and uh so i mean it was it was a very it was a young crowd i mean we were all within a few years of each other although i was like i thought of myself as the kid because i was the newest hire but i don't think the oldest guy in the room was in the thing was more than three four years older than me but uh you know mid-20s early 20s um it was it was a wonderful time to find out what I could do. It was a wonderful time. We were all finding out what we could force the system to do. <laughs> uh, and in the same time, at the bottom line, we're making games. Yeah. So the bottom line is it's all about having fun, which I think I gloss over sometimes when I talk about what I do just because it, it is so inherent and I, I think it should be so basically understood is you know you're making games it's all about entertaining somebody else the idea that someone somewhere is laughing just even getting a smile because of something i did mm-hmm. it's so it, it it inspires you or it, i don't know if it inspires you it inspires me to want to do the absolute most i can given whatever i'm being given to work with absolutely but i digress <laughs> And, and uh, so what did you work on when you first started at Valley Midway? Uh, the first game I actually worked on, I worked on, uh, uh, I spent a week training with the tools, working on a project that had already been canceled called Stomp It, which was a Dudley Do-Right game in which apparently in, at one point you went around stomping on bombs, but uh, when I was working at it, it had been changed it had been worked on by one of those programmers who says, hey, let's try this, hey, let's try this. They, you were going around hitting bombs with sledgehammers. It was called Stop It. Uh, they tra- I worked on that for a couple of weeks, and then after I knew what I was doing, or, you know, I mastered the archaic tools, um, they said, well, we're not actually producing this game, but we want you to work on this game with Bob, Bob Dinnerman, Dissatron, and, you know, a couple of Nobody wants to work with this guy. He's a perfectionist. He's driving me nuts. (laughs) And he was perfect for me because, A, I'm not afraid to push back, and B, I'm very much a lead, follow, or get out of the way. I'm happy. You know, if you're leading, I'm going to follow. If you've got a plan, I'm there. If 
you don't have a plan, get out of the way because I'll help you with one. And Bob was very much, I had a plan and I had no problem with that. And Disotron, it was great for me being my first game because I went in with this kind of this negative attitude about what could be done with 16 colors and big ugly pixels and only Mm -hmm. so many images to work with. And what that game, if you're not familiar with it, it simulates a floating 3D space on a raster, old raster um, hardware that was never meant to handle 3D. And he did all the math. It was it was brilliant on his side, on the programming side. And for me, it, it kind of woke me up right away to, oh, there's an endless possibilities here in this industry. So it, I went quickly from, oh, it's a job, I'm getting a paycheck, to <laughs> within a few weeks to anything is possible. And for me, uh, management there at that time, it was very peer-to-peer. So literally when... when uh, Somebody was saying, well, yeah, I said, well, I know where the new ideas come from. And when the artists who had been showing me stuff, excuse me. Oh, that's okay. Had been showing me stuff, said, uh, um, well, here's this list of game ideas that various people put up. But, uh, you know, this one says this. And I said, well, now that would look great if you changed what this silly top view down of this into cartoon characters from a three-quarter side view. And the other artist was like, well, can we do that? <laughs> and I'm like, well, you've been here longer than me, but if nobody's telling me no, let's do it. And two weeks later, they had a programmer assigned to it. There was a game that was bombing on tests, and I said, hey, you know, it's my time, you know, whatever you want me to do, but I can reskin this to be a cute little green alien, and we'll put cute cartoony stuff. And they did it, they reskinned it, that became Cosmic Cruiser, which then spawned another game called Wacko. Uh, because management liked the characters so much, they gave it to an outside group that had a game that wasn't doing very well, and they put Cosmic Cruiser on that, and that was Wacko. And actually, I think Wacko ended up doing better than Cosmic Cruiser. Wow. Cosmic Cruiser was a huge... It was was a strange cabinet, and Cosmic Cruiser was a hugely expensive cabinet. I was telling you about Cruiser a little earlier ago. He was in a few things in a short span for Midway, and it just kind of didn't really take... Well, I've noticed I've never seen a wacko converted to something else because I always, yeah, I always like to identify what a cabinet right. as a kid in it used to be, and I've never seen a, another game installed in a wacko. Right, because yeah. that would just be funny. Right, and Q Cruiser again <laughs> used the the same kind of silver mirrored, half silver mirrored effect that um, Disatron used. Plus, it had a mechanical flying saucer in mm-hmm. the middle. It was really complex, and I believe the attitude at that time was. They only wanted to do games, at least at Midway. I'm not sure about other places. But at Midway, they mainly wanted to do games that could not be done at home. They saw it was still only the Atari 2600, but they realized that if they just did something with a four-way joystick and a button, it was going to, somebody could copy that same thing. So they wanted to make things that you had to be able to buy yeah. in an arcade. You, you, you needed this piece of wood because they were... At their core, they were a manufacturer. They didn't want to develop games and then license them out. They wanted wood coming out of their factory. And uh, so they, so by design, a lot of those early games that I worked on, you know, it had a knob, and the knob went up and down. And down would trigger something, and pulling up would trigger something. And that's just one control. And then over here, you've got a joystick with a thumb button and a trigger. And, mm-hmm. well, to, the, to this day, there still hasn't been a good port of disc to try. Well, you can't because you can't. Yeah, I mean, you, they, they tried to put it on the Xbox Live, and not only, of course, you're missing the depth of the effect and the, the way the sound reverberate in the environmental was always, oh, God, I loved it. I know. But that control scheme cannot be duplicated right. on a control. You I mean, can't do these main, as main games or anything like no, that. Sure uh, can. And I, and I love that. I love that because, like, other people, like uh, other companies, our big competitor, Williams, you know, they, they did games like Robotron and Defender and simple joystick games that did very well for them because the majority of players out there could handle two joysticks. Mm-hmm. I, my left brain, right brain, never could handle two joysticks. I needed to be doing one thing with one hand and one with another. So the games like Disatron, and we used that same control in Zwackery, uh, those were, you know, you make game, ultimately you make games for yourself. 
you've got a client or you've got a boss who says, we need this, this is the niche we're trying to uh, fill. But if you are, I think successful games are games that designers make for themselves. Uh, and I don't know where where we were in question world, but I think that's a <laughs> I don't get too caught up in the questions. I like okay. to see where they evolve into. Okay. Um, but so Dis- Discs of Tron was your first game that you worked on. Right. How long were you at Valley Midway before Rampage? Rampage is 82. Okay. Uh, no, no. I started in 82. Rampage, I think, came out in 86. 86? Um, although, I swear it came out earlier, but um, <laughs> it was it was the spring of 86 when we were marketing it, so we did it mostly through 85. Um, working on, I'm terrible with dates, I'll just tell you. Any questions that you've got that have to do with... <laughs> When this was in relation to this one, <laughs> I have that, that's no my, idea. That's that's my territory. Okay, good. Because <laughs> uh, you know, I will go. I will go. You know, Wikipedia and go, and they'll say this was. And it's like, no, no way was that. Well, because Wikipedia, I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, I'm sorry. That's just not right. But I worked on a lot of different <laughs> things. Spy Hunter was an ongoing project. It had started before I got there, and it lasted forever because the that was one of the one programmers who instead of being in the main part of the office was like off a little room in the back so every time management had come by to see what the status of everything was he'd get forget, forgotten about it. and he so he had the <laughs> luxury of flying under the radar all the time and it gave us as artists uh, myself Sharon Perry um, we would go back there and hang with that programmer and he was a very this is what I've got to do and he was very good at tuning but he had very little in the game you drove, you shot, and he, that, I mean, I shouldn't say very little. When you tune a game well, that's a huge amount of work, but there wasn't a lot of surprises and things like, okay, this is a bond car, so we got to have an oil slick. Okay, it's got to have a smoke screen. Okay, now we need bulletproof shields here. Now, how about shotguns? You pull up alongside you and shoot at you with a shotgun, and how about these things that are going to come flying overhead? A lot of that came from the peer-to-peer thing of Sharon and I and Tom sitting in the room going, okay, this is, oh, yeah, we need it. Oh, <laughs> I don't yeah, We're way I, off topic. Uh, yes. uh, yeah, okay, sorry. Okay. No, 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 it's okay. You just got <laughs> Okay. Um, Where were we? I'm sorry. So, at, uh, at Valley Midway, you started in 82, you said, did and you got hired on as a designer. I got hired on as an animator. An animator. An animator. And I became a designer out of self-defense. You work no seriously. You work with all these different people, like I mentioned. Uh, I think I set up that joke four times today, and I never followed through with the punchline. Which is, yeah, no. You, you work with all these people. You become a designer out of self-defense because you realize that if I'm going to work with that guy, if I'm not walking in the door with this is what we're doing today, I'm going to be wasting the next three weeks over something I could get done in three days. Uh, and that is why I became a designer. Really, not thinking I'm becoming a designer. It's just that okay, I'm working with, uh, you know, this this programmer. I better go in there saying this is what we're doing today, or this is what we're doing next, or or even better still, the night before, putting some things together so I can say, hey, I've got these, and this is how they work. Mm-hmm. So that it's not even this is what, some guys you say this is what we're going to do. They're going to argue with you, but if say hey, I've got this for you to do. They're happy. You've got to keep them busy. They don't have to think. So different people work different ways, and it just became evident early on that if you want, and I think I mentioned the panels, I, I worked with Jeff a lot. Uh, initially, we were, he's a sports nut. He's, you know, big high school jock star, you know, basketball star. You know, I'm a bookworm and a movie maker, you know, and an artist. You know, he couldn't be more opposite in terms of our <laughs> likes or dislikes. But we both really hated to do stuff twice. So that's why the two of us started, you know, we worked probably first on the Demo Derby, and then uh, um, he worked a little bit on Spy 10 Hunter too, but I didn't really work with him much. But Demo Derby, and then then we did Sarge together. Yeah. And then, uh, and that was kind of, he wanted to do a tank game, and I wanted to do a game where you were controlling multiple things, um, multiple characters at once, so... uh, we did Sarge together, and that cranked out fast. And so whenever we had a chance, we tried to work together after that. Um, but I still work with other people. But, yeah, it became a game designer out of self-defense. And you, you said you and Jeff worked together on a lot of projects. 
we worked together on, um, yeah, uh, we worked together Demo Derby. We worked together on um, on Sarge. Mm -hmm. uh, Rampage, almost, Rampage, he had a different project. And oh, I, as I mentioned in the panel, Rampage almost didn't get done because even though myself and Sharon and Jim Belt and uh, uh, Mike Bartlow you know, were discussing what could be done and what couldn't be done, and we were told couldn't do anything except ramp, ramp, uh, rectangles, and I said, that's that's a game right there. And now I can do big characters, which made me excited mm -hmm. because I could show expression, and expression means comedy, and you know that's my love. And we all got tremendously excited, and we brought Jeff in, and uh, Jeff was, Jeff proved out, Jeff uh, validated all my assumptions that, you know, we can do this because I've seen Jeff do this and we did this in Sarge and, you know, it's, we're not supposed to be able to do this, but if we do this eight blocks at a time, <laughs> you know, it, it's got to be at a certain speed. And he came in and he, he bought into it right away, but he had another project he was slated to do. So he almost didn't do that until I was able to pull the trigger with the president. Were there, are there any major roadblocks that you can remember uh, your teammates on the game thought you would not be able to overcome that you and Jeff were able to maneuver? Because it seems like you guys are pretty good at that. We we always built from the previous game. Okay. So in, in Sarge, looking to jazz the things up, everything was static. Everything was, hey, we switched from this screen to this screen. I said, Jeff, can we do a screen at which, you know, they tell us we can't scroll hardware. What can we do? He's like, well, you can't scroll because for different speeds, you have to move at one pixel at a time. And we can only move entire blocks at eight at a time, which means if we move an entire block, and this is way too technical and no, no, no. for most, but, uh, <laughs> or, or way too, too much minutia. But if we move an entire block fast enough, you won't notice that it's going jump, 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 jump. Yeah. And so we did that with some of our track screens. So then when we worked on the next game, it's like, okay, we're going to borrow that. Now we're doing, now, now that I know we can do that and we can replace individual blocks because, hey, you're changing this block and this block in the score. Does that mean I can change a solid brick wall to a brick wall with a crack in it for Rampage? And it's like, yes, I know you can. And can we... You know, so bit by bit, because we communicated with each other, again, peer-to-peer, -peer, but very different disciplines, we both learned what each other could do, and solutions didn't even have to be figured out. It's like, oh, no, we can, I, the fist goes out, all I got to do is make sure it's measured properly, uh, and then it's very obvious to Jeff, okay, radiating from that block that the fist is over, we're putting this one to solid black, and then this one will have an up crack, and this one will have a sideways crack, and this one will have a down crack. Um, mm -hmm. I distracted myself. That's <laughs> that sounded okay. dirty. Um, <laughs> but we did not experience this isn't going to work from coworkers. Yeah. Um, and all of early Midway was like that. They were, It was very much a team effort, even with guys who, you know, Socially maladroit, uh, just you know, <laughs> nice for fun they would kick they would kick holes in the walls when no one was looking. Um, <laughs> I work with guys like that too, but even them, they may have attitudes that wouldn't you know fly in a in a public forum. But no one would slam what you were working on. They would say, "I didn't, I don't like this. Why is this doing this?" And but you wanted that because when people agree with you. Unless it's perfect, which is be nice if stuff was perfect. Mm -hmm. You're not learning anything. Absolutely. And but when people say, "Okay, why can't we do this? Why can't we do this?" I mean, Jeff and I probably had more. I want to do this. No, we can't. And then it would be vindicated later when another programmer would come up and say, uh, "Jeff, why, how come when you jump on the roof it doesn't crack?" And then I would look. I would just kind of do one of these. It's like, no, I didn't put him up saying that, but that's what I'm trying to get, but trying to get you to do for the last two weeks. <laughs> so, and that kind of thing, Brian. You know, I want to get a, I want to get a different character, and blah 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 blah. I said, can't do it, Jeff. Can't do it. You know, two character. You know, well, 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 yeah, we can change your color palette, and I can do a new head. So, okay, yeah, no, we'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so no, we did not get from outside the group. We would get, hey, you can't do that. 
uh, or that's not going to fly. Um, but within our the actual development group, we were all pretty supportive of each other. That's good. I mean, stuff we had a we had a guy who was in charge of all of the the initial engineering group that I, I flipped when I heard this story. He basically it was in those days it was limited sixteen colors. One palette of sixteen colors, right? No. No, I'm sorry. For those of you listening, I shook my head there with sarcasm. No, there were four palettes of 16 colors, but he, he told all the programmers, don't tell the artists because then they'll just want to use them. Oh, my gosh. And everybody knows you don't need more than 16 colors. And I, I, always, I, always, flip, I always love telling that story because that's how different a programmer would think from a from a uh, artist type thing. And then... Uh, <laughs> I don't know where where I forgot what the question was. Oh I no! Hope I, I hope I an, answered it in there somewhere. <laughs> you did, I promise. Um, and you have a pretty unique art style. At least at, in the time that I've spent at your table, that's one of the things that I think every single person who has come through has said that they absolutely love about about you as a designer. Uh, is that you have a very unique art style. And, and Rampage was was that the first game that you really got? To? That was the first game. Um, that was the first game. I think people have compared my video style uh, and say they can recognize that as well. I've had, I've had guys tell me, Chris Bieniek, who used to uh, run Tips and Tricks magazine and video games magazine, said, I could tell a Brian Colin game by your font. <laughs> you know, just because, you know, you put in just a little extra insight. Okay, now you're just being silly. But uh, people said I had a unique screen style, but certainly once I started doing cabinet art, which I started with Rampage, um, then it was pretty much cemented down because I got to do my minutia pen and ink kind of have fun with my with the art that I couldn't have obviously on screen. Um, so I think that's where people really are able to tie this stuff together. And I think it comes through in games like Arch Rivals and Pigskin and Zwackery, and you look at these things. I spent a lot of time with the limitations of colors. Oddly enough, in those days, because they were interlaced, you put a red pixel here and a blue pixel right next to it, and that'll look like red and blue. But if you happen to put a third color beside it, all of a sudden, it you can get you can trick the eye into seeing details that aren't there. Oh. And I would spend a lot of time just because the faces were so small. It's like I want it to look a certain way, and. The exact same number of pixels in the exact same places, you find that right subtlety of an odd color that shouldn't belong there, green in the middle of a face, that would turn what looked like a straight line mouth into a little mouth with a little grin. And that, I mean, again, I'm getting into minutiae that. I promise the minutiae is what people want to hear. Okay. <laughs> I promise. Okay. But yeah, I, I, I took my time. I had a real attention to detail. I enjoyed. It's only late in later years that I kind of put it in the words where I love every kind of creative challenge. At the time, I was just, okay, I can make this look better. Yeah. And that was, you know, that was the driving force behind me and almost everything I created on screen is there's got to be a way I can make this look better. Whereas I feel, too, I was pushing pixels. Uh, we all were back then. We were pushing pixels. Whereas these days, one of the, the things when I hire artists... Um, Hey, yeah, I need you to set up the screen, and here's what the title page should look like, and they'll, it'll spit it out in an hour, and, and it's like, now, there's a huge gap. You know, there's this letter here, and this letter here, and there's a huge gap. Well, that's the way it came out in Photoshop. It's like, no, no, no. We're making finished art. You, you, if you have to reduce the, you know, adjust the kerning, if you have to do whatever you have to do, it's not how quick can I generate it with this auto tool. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, but what does it really need to look like to look, wow, you know? Yeah. And back in the pixel days, we were doing it pixel by pixel, and I think that was good training anyway for, for understanding that, you know, God is in the details, you know, so as they say. Absolutely. Like you said in the panel earlier, which I'm planning on releasing the panel audio, uh, alongside this interview at least. Okay. Or now you are taking, you're, you are deleting <laughs> out all the uh, 
comments I made about the evil managers and horrible competition and no, no, the, no, no, no. Uh, oh, you're going to leave all in? Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. M- mind if I ask one that I didn't hear covered today? Yes. When she's done. Does this apply to this? Apply this? Well, okay, jump rampage. Yeah. Well, I always like to talk about old video game controversies because some of the oldest ones are kind of humorous, honestly, especially when they came later. And I've never heard too much about it, but I've heard that Rampage had a, a few concerned responses early on because you had little nude characters. <laughs> we did. In the screen. We did. We had we had more than our share with almost every game, um, and and what what um, you're referring to is the fact that at the end of Rampage, I. One of these things, I didn't like that people died in games. I Just something about a new life that always sounded, you know, and in some games it makes sense, but even in games like uh, you know, General Chaos, you know, guy gets incinerated and he turns to bones. He comes back to life. Rampage, I didn't want these guys killed. I wanted, since they were human, they started human story-wise, and they were just the victims, basically, of this unfortunate evil scum labs pollution backstory i wanted them to turn back into human and then you know crawl off and of course they had to be naked because they weren't wearing clothes and we got flack for from some fronts saying because we were showing nudity now had it been yeah i mean i defy you to find a piece of genitalia in a character eight pixels across um but and i think well actually just because i don't think there was that uh, colloquialisms, for lack of a better word. Um, <laughs> nobody nobody brought up then the fact that you were eating your friends, um, where I think today that probably would have been the first, uh, you know, headline is like, players can now eat each other. And with all these sexual connotations that go on with that, you know, it's like, but but they were, they were, did complain about the nudity. Yes, they did. Yes. Really? I yes. have no idea. You gotta idea. go with the rampage down there, just to, I mean, because it's... <laughs> They're tiny little people, and the men shuffle off like up. this with you know their hands in front of their crotch, and the women have one hand. And I mean, let's face it, they are They're like eight pixels across. You you can bear. The only reason you can tell the one's a woman and one's a man is because of where their hands are placed. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, no, that that is a good question. We had we had more than our share of that kind of stuff. Um, and so you mentioned that. Was the art for like on the cabinets and stuff? Was it the only art that you you had a hand in working on for your games? Or well, no, I did all the screen art. I did all the animation in this. I mean, not on every game. In some games, I just did you know the smoke clouds that come out of the back of the van, or I did the the uh, missiles that you you know different games when you had multiple artists working on games. Everybody did you know whatever was needed. And game like Rampage, I did everything. Yeah. I did every piece of screen art, animation, uh, little gimmicks. And part of the fun of Rampage from a development standpoint was inherent in the design was, okay, the basic thing is knocking down this building. We cranked that out pretty quick. It works. Now, what do we do to make this interesting forever? And because we had very limited resources in, return, in terms of sprites, uh, actual little frames, mm-hmm. if you will, of animation... One of the things that fans found, and I believe, you know, accounted for the fact that people could play it forever, was there's a little piece of fruit in there. Okay, I eat it. Oh, there's a little person on a toilet there, and if I punch him, the water comes out and squirts me in the face. <laughs> uh, you know, if you eat a group of nuns in Rampage World Tour, you get struck by lightning. You know, I mean, we the little things, and what it was fun because unless, unlike another game where, if, hey, we want a good guy and some bad guys, you've got enough room in the game to have three bad guys and a good guy, that's it. We had hundreds of little things in Rampage that players could discover and then and then even build on that with you know certain game mechanics. Rampage developed because there was no wrong way to play it. You know, subway train comes rattling by the L train on the L tracks. Two guys on either side of the screen figure out that if you punch it it goes the opposite way. They could sit there and play Ping pong with the with a with an L train and the little game within a game things that that uh, players could do for themselves really contributed to its longevity in the arcades because 
a good a good game that would earn money, but four months later it needed to be replaced, or you know five months later, and the operators would take it out of one location and put it into another. But Rampage had legs, is what they called it in the day. It's like Rampage had legs. You could leave that thing was earning top money months and months and months longer than an average game. And uh, we went on to make other games, uh, you know, Xenophobe and Arch Rivals and Pigskin. And then we left Midway, form our own company. We did some home games, but we continued to be on good terms. And, and we were at Midway talking about doing some games for them. Uh, they'd been after us to do games for them again uh, for quite a while. And um, something came up that, hey, we need a need for this audience. And Jeff and I looked at each other and said, let's redo Rampage. It'd be perfect. <laughs> Because 10 years later, we had a lot more ability to put deep storylines and hidden stuff and cinematic stuff. And it was an arcade game. Yeah. So we redid it, as, and it was more of a reinvention than a sequel. It didn't pick up where the last one left off. It was, um, it was here's the story, and here's how it really happened. So it starts with a, you know, kind of a movie thing going on, and, and uh, here's the backstory, and now we got to meet the evil, um, I forget uh, right now, I forget what the guy's name was, but uh, the guy who was Eustace Demonic, who was the head of Scum Labs, and his daughter was Veronica Demonic, the uh, the um, you know the the sexy technician that first reported the thing. So we and we we got to put a bunch of stuff in there that we couldn't do the first time around, and uh, so for us, it was ten years later. It was a totally new hardware system. Um, and we had a we had our own staff now at that point, so I had you know eight artists animators that could all contribute stuff, um, and uh, we had we probably had about seven programmers uh, working on that game at once, um, and you know for those that care, you, you can go to like the Game Refuge channel on YouTube and and see watch the look mini die. It was basically our home movies the night before Rampage while we spent. The day before it was due, mm -hmm. all night long, just testing those last little bits, doing everything. Everybody's in it but me because, because I was filming it. But uh, <laughs> I think towards the end of the movie, they show a picture of a person sleeping under an overcoat with a hat pulled over his face and surrounded by a bed of beer cans. That might have been my only appearance in that movie. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and so that was the reinvention of Rampage. And then by that time... After World Tour came out, consoles were to the point where they could do justice to the games, unlike, you know, the 2600 version of Rampage, which still makes my flesh crawl to this day. I don't know why they were trying to make games yeah. like that on the 2600, that Double Dragon. Yeah, it was like the name. They, they, bought the, they bought the license to the name, and it was enough to get some sold, so they were happy. But uh, Master System version was pretty good. I'm sorry? The Sega Master System version of Rampage. There, there were good ones. There were bad. You know, I'd never played them because I had the arcades of games in my basement. So I, I would, I would get them just to check them out and go, "Oh, this one looks great. Oh, these Lynx uh, versions of everything. These are tremendous." You know, some of the Sega Saturns were great, but I really, you know, I, I was not a person who followed the industry. I was never. I didn't grow up being a video game fan. You know, I, I, I. I was in the industry. I was loving what I was doing. I was loving how I could compare my stuff to whatever else was being going on. But it wasn't like I went home and played all this stuff yeah. because my full-time job was working, playing games. And so when I went home, I went canoeing. I went, hiking in the, <laughs> you know, I went hiking in the woods or we'd take off to wine country for you know a long weekend, that type of thing. So. And your wife was has worked with you on, on a, in a lot of this, right? Or she's played a part in the development of a lot of it, I guess, maybe. Yes, she has, in, in a couple of ways. A, she puts up with it. <laughs> um, and I put her face, she's Lizzie in that original Rampage, in the photo of the human. I'm George, and Jeff Nauman is Ralph, and she was Lizzie. But then when we formed Game Refuge, she was my first secretary. She handled all the business side of things, which was great, because, as we know, I'm... As a businessman, I'm a terrific game designer. Um, but uh, so, yeah, she, she's helped out with the company on and off over the years. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Game Refuge, uh, you, you, you told an interesting story. You said that 
EA, was it EA? Yes. Wanted you to come and work for them. Right. EA had contact. After we did finish Pigskin, we started a new game for Williams. And um, I had been after Jeff literally for several years to let's go out and form our own company. Um, he was always very reluctant. Uh, but after going to, after Williams bought us and Jeff and I moved over to Williams, um, we had a short-term contract and they never got around to the long-term contract. And that didn't really bother me. But Jeff more and more was like, when are we going to get these full-time contracts? You know, I mean... Oh, don't worry about it. You guys are gold. You know, you're going to be fine. But the fact that that uh, they didn't uh, deliver this contract that many of the Williams people, because it was a different atmosphere than Midway. Uh, Midway was very, hey, we're all one big group. And Williams was very much, uh, they pitted development groups against each other. Mm. So, I mean, I'd hear from Eugene, this is the way you want to do this and don't, don't use so-and-so what they're using because that's all crap. You want to be using this. And then I'd hear from someone else, no, 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 don't, Eugene uses that. No, you, you don't want to use that. Don't use this R tool. Use this guy. No, this, you know, everybody had different things. And I think, I think that was by design at the corporate level. They pitted groups against each other, offered big bonuses and cash inducements. Um, so that was a little alien to us. And, and EA... Electronic Arts approached me after Pigskin and said, you know, I want you to come work for us. And it's like, you know, I don't want to go move to California. You can't. I've got a nice big yard. I've got a you know, half acre here and a kind of a wooded half acre. I couldn't afford that. You couldn't pay me enough to afford that in, in California. Um, I love visiting California, but, you know, San Francisco, no, I'm, I'm not interested. And they, they uh, said, well, you know, eventually it came, after about six months, it came down to... Um, well, what if we gave you the money to start your own company? What would you need to start your own company? And so then I looked at Jeff, and by that time, he'd had enough of, I'm waiting on a contract, I'm waiting on a contract. Yeah, it'll be next week. Well, it went on for months and months, and so we just kind of went in and said, hey, you know, we're, we're really sorry, but we'll finish this game, but then we're going to go. And they said, no, no, you can, you can leave. You'll be back. All you guys leave and come back just to get higher salaries. It's like, we're not like that. We're not going to do that. <laughs> and it was funny because it was a running gag. Every time we would see the uh, Williams management at, I call them Williams, but it was Midway, Midway management by then. But I would see these guys at trade shows. When are you coming back? When are you going? When are you coming back? And finally, after about four years, uh, yeah, about three or four years, we said, we'll do games for you guys. We'd love to do keep doing arcade games but no we're we're game refuge now and so they we did uh we started doing games for them again and and i think i already covered how that's how we stumbled back into rampage mm -hmm. world tour so i'm repeating myself <laughs> no it all, it's all connected it's all connected but rampage seems to be a franchise that you cannot get rid of because not that you want to get rid of it but it will not leave your life well not entirely true. It did leave our lives. Uh, when they wanted us to do the third one, I had a vision for a whole new reinvention of the game that they didn't share. So I said, go give it to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And that's why the last, all the home console original ones have been done by different groups. And, you know, kicking myself that I didn't just go ahead and do it because... They, they, they completely lack the charm. Well, thank you. Um, I mean, they've done well, and they still have a following. Um, I'm not saying that they're the most, you know, but they're just, they just, they're missing that. Well, thank you. That That's... thing that brought me to the original ones myself. Well, I, I was, I, we were, we were pretty busy at the time as an independent company, and I felt that I could play the tough guy and say, no, no, we're going to do my way, or go find somebody else. And they went and found somebody else. So, um, but. Oddly enough, here a few years back, I saw in the trades that uh, a producer uh, was picking up the Rampage movie option. I got very excited. It fell through after a couple of years. And then once again, a little bit after that, I saw that The Rock had attached and uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And I got all excited all over again, and this time a little more so because of his star power. And I politely made some, you know, I immediately shot out emails to everybody I could find online that was associated with it saying, hey, glad to help. I did the original. I did the sequel. You know, I've got 
reams of backstory so you could you could make it exactly like our video game and I can help you with all this. And I was I think I was more or less politely ignored. Um, and uh, and but I kept following what was going on and learned that they were filming in Chicago and by an odd coincidence. Uh, my son, who also went to film school at SIU, one of his roommates uh, was connected with the production. I found out was going to be connected with the production when they were shooting in Atlanta. So I did this shirt, which you listeners can't see, <laughs> um, as a gift, as a gag gift for them based on our own development shirts. Because whenever I did a game for Bally, I would always do a shirt for the team. Um, and... When they were shooting in Chicago on location, I was planning on going down and kind of hanging out and watching. And I was the casting company in Chicago reached out to me and asked me if they said they'd love it if I would come out and be an extra. So I did that. That was fun. And then the ne did it again the next weekend. And the casting people introduced me to the head of the production unit there in Chicago. The eight. But uh, did you get to meet the Rock? Well, he was not in on location when I was there. I this was second there. unit stuff. So, but life couldn't be any better. You know, I may have a cameo. I'm in, in I actually, I might be in there a couple spots because, you know, I was an extra. So, you know, so that was fun. Couldn't get any better. And then about two months later, I got a call from uh, one of the producers and uh, the guy who was really behind it from the start. And he explained that uh, he'd been wanting to call me for a while. And now that I had been um, vetted, so to speak, because I'd been actually involved in the film he was allowed to give me a call and invite me down to watch the last week you know during the last week of shooting and so I did to answer that question from way back when that's when I met The Rock that's when I met Naomi Harris that's when I met uh, uh, Jason Lyles uh, and, and every and a tremendous cast and the executive producers and and they were all wonderful to me like I was somebody special. I was a kid in a candy store going, you guys are gods, you know, and you're not only are you doing my movie, you brought me down here and you're treating me like this and it was wonderful. It was it, you know, absolutely, people always say that's a day I'll never forget, you know, that absolutely is. Sorry kids. Yeah, your births were special and my wedding day was great. But, you know, <laughs> this, this was a one of a kind thing. I, this was uh yeah, I've, I'm still grinning months yeah. later. I'm still grinning. And it's fantastic. And The Rock is a fan of Rampage. That was the big thing, right? Like, that was... I was told that uh, as the, the... Like you say, they, they were really nice to me. I was given a tour of what was going on. They were shooting on several sets, an indoor set, a mechanical set. They were doing all kinds of things because it was the last week of shooting. And, uh, and I was given, you know, script synopses and how it evolved over the years and everything else. And, but one of the things that was thrown out to me is like, you know, I, you know, The Rock says he was, you know, a fan. He used to ditch class to go play Rampage, <laughs> which, I mean, you, you just, again, how, does make you how do feel? I do I, it makes me feel like my dimples are hitting the top of my head. I, I've got to be grinning so much. Yeah, it, it was, they were so nice to me. They were so, oh, so nice to me. Um, it was, yeah, it was a, just a wonderful, just really wonderful. That's amazing. And I'm ho I hope I can say that. Um, I should say that I'm not supposed to talk about anything I saw. You haven't anything. talked about anything good, you saw. Good, good. I don't know what I'm blurting out here because I tend <laughs> to ramble. But, but yeah, the, it, what I saw was a bunch of terrific actors and crew people doing, giving 110, 120%. And, and at the end of the day, The Rock was gracious enough to tell them they were all doing it for me. Now, oh, what does man. that feel like? I mean, you people tell me. say, yeah, and it's like, you, 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 you say something like that, and a guy says something like to that to you, and it's just like, yeah, I, I, I'm, I don't know if I'm speechless. I don't know what I said. I, I think I said, you know, everybody says you're a nice guy, but, you know, they don't even come close to describing you. Well, the I mean, good news is, or supposedly is, you know, he might be running for president next election cycle. You can say, cool. you might be able to say that the president of the United States. Hey, at this point, <laughs> at this point, uh, if he wants to ask me to be vice president, I'll have to consider it. But I mean, it's, it's a on lot the record now. It's, so. a, it's, it's a lot of responsibility. Um, I'm not sure I can accept, but <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. But yeah, no, he was great. It was great. It was a great experience. That's so amazing. yes. Rampage is back in my life very much. That's why I say it. It really hasn't left. 
if you think about it. Well, it never left me, but I it um I mean just as a side note about the you know the convention we're at here, I I had no idea these types of conventions and these types of communities were going on until just a few years ago. Yeah. I felt like my neighbors knew I was a video game designer because they'd be at my house and parties and they'd, you know, kids, the neighborhood kids would come play all the games in my basement and garage. But I'm doing other things. I'm doing Facebook games or slot machines or whatever anybody taps me on the shoulder to do. So I don't really think, I didn't really, and I knew arcades for all intents and purposes were gone. So I didn't really think about the fact that there were people out there that still, not only just still loved it, but we're keeping it alive and even making it grow. And so that was been, that's been a delightful discover for me the last few years is Rampage has always been in my life. It's been in my basement, but I didn't realize <laughs> it was in the world's life. I didn't realize it was some, it had become a part of pop culture. Absolutely. I really did not realize that, <laughs> you know, I could look at the sales figure and go, yeah, we did good. And you know, and but that's about it. It didn't really mean anything to me until I started coming to these shows and there was. The best thing about being a game designer in the 80s was standing in the back of the arcade, watching people play your games, seeing when they laugh, seeing when they smile, and then starting to come to these shows here in the last few years. All, it's all there again. <laughs> Looking at them, watching them play your games, the little kids who are reaching all the way up there to get the controls next to their dad, who's laughing down there and smiling at them. Mm -hmm. And it just, I mean, it brought everything back. So it, it has never left. Absolutely. And, and, it, and now it's just it's wonderful it's front wonderful. and center yeah is uh is there anything that you and your team at game refuge are working on um about the only thing i can talk about at this point is uh next week uh at the galloping ghost arcade in uh brookfield illinois which is uh ostensibly the world's largest arcade it's the world's largest arcade because he had, that is a just an arcade he doesn't do any redemption games nothing like that he's just all arcade pinball he's Around 600 games. He's a city wow. block long. Uh, we will be, and he has several one-of-a-kind games of mine that I've donated to him over the years wow. that were like, you know, uh, as I mentioned in the panel, oh, the, this game never got out because of this or this. He's got them. I donated them to him, and he's restored them. He found out that I shot a Laserdisc film uh, back in the day that never got produced, and he said, I'd like to do a restoration of that. Would you take the footage... Let's digit, you know, turn it into digital. Would you make the game you never finished thirty some years ago? Oh my and gosh. it's finished, and we're showing it at uh, at uh, Doc's place on Halloween. Can you give us a name? I'm not going to. Oh, it, it's Death's. The name of the the uh, film is The Specter Files, Death Stalker. Specter okay. Files colon Death Stalker. It is a low budget horror film in the. Um, in the finest low-budget horror film tradition, you're a, you're a you're a the player is a it's a point of view of the player who is a detective Ed Specter looking for a missing girl Buffy McGuffin, um, and you have to of course go to an you know insane asylum an abandoned insane asylum to find this girl, and yeah it's it's just a piece of. Mm. It's awful. No, it is no. so bad. It was going to be a laser game? Yes, Because I know you, I think you'd alluded to NFL football. Well, it was going to be. Because they, they used a CD. Yeah, they used NFL a video football. disc in there, yeah. And they It was going to be a laser disc game because um, some bad ones had come out. And, oh, yeah. And <laughs> I said, look, I can do, hey, I can do a bad film, but it'll be a whole lot better. And, be, you know, and, and, and again, I come, you know, my age, video games were text adventures, you know, Zork and stuff so uh it's like no this is going to be a live action film it'd be wonderful it'd be funny and they let you know god bless them they let me gave it give it a try we got the film done but before we were done with the film and when we were done with the film and ready to start the game production someone between me starting and six months later when i was ready to do that someone at valley a valley executive decided that they could um sell laser disc games cheaper if they used video discs that he got on sale. The only trouble is video laser discs. Sale. Laser discs don't have needles, yeah. whereas so video discs do. So well, they, they, they have that little stylus, right? And I, I, I like for home use. 
those things can only be played a certain number of times. Well, I don't even know about that, but well, I do. Well, no, I do know in an arcade, if you bump a thing with a stylus, you've got a four thousand dollar doorstop. Well, there was that too. <laughs> but the thing is, is that those could only be played a certain number of times. A stylus would actually damage the disc right, a little right. bit. So the demo mode in NFL football, if the game wasn't bumped and went unplayed, that particular part of the disc eventually would just get worn I, out. And I see. I never. Yeah. I never got that bit of detail. That's great. Because to hear. I know somebody that for years was trying to restore one because when he got it, it was in pretty good shape. But yeah, the disc had was practically worked through because the demo mode was just playing this one portion of it over and over and over. They would loop back around. The stylus would go back to that and play it, and go back to that and play it. I mean, it's it's essentially taking something and rubbing it across right. it. It's over a, it, well, it's a phonograph over. record, basically. Yeah. Oh, and wow. and the, I mean, I remember the time I, I worked in my department. I didn't pay too much attention to what was going on, and I remember we were. You know, and I worked on a lot of games at once, but I remember the the management announcing that they had video disc players on sale to any employer that wanted one for a ridiculously low price. And it's like, oh man, we should get one because that's cheap. <laughs> and I never put two and two together until uh, a little later. It's just like, oh, we're not going to make Laserdisc games because of the the huge. I mean, industry laughing stock is probably not. Uh, inappropriate term. The fact when they released that NFL on that video disc and everybody just universally said, what were you thinking? Uh, <laughs> and then I'm like, well, we can still do ours on later, laser disc, and management's like, no, no, we're done. Well, they're done playing revisions. No more discs. No more discs. Well, they're playing revisions, too, because originally it was just two teams, and then they were making another kit where it could be the, the Cowboys versus the Redskins. So there were some up in Dallas because, oh, there's a Cowboys yeah. version. But no one ever played it. Yeah, you, you actually know more about the game than I do. I, I, I know. There was a bowling alley that I went to that had it for a long while, but we just played all the games around it. Yeah, I, all <laughs> I know is that uh, when I heard they were doing it, it's like, okay, well, then they're serious about making games, and I didn't pay much more attention until they were telling me we weren't going to make my game because we're out of the game business. And it's like, why are they out of the game business? And then, you know, one of my bosses pulled me aside, well, it's because we put it on video disc and uh, you know nobody wants to talk about that we won't mention that now so. <laughs> forgotten history not most anymore people most people don't even know that format exists oh yeah i yeah. had never heard of it honestly yeah, yeah I, I yeah i'm struggling i got a bunch of them in the state sale with a player a little while back and yeah people didn't know what they were because they're records that play video yeah I, I have to ask you what what are some key questions we want to hit this, you because so I do have I, to, I met the time. I was gonna try, I was gonna wrap it up but this okay. is perfect because I know that you are here you're visiting as as a guest for the show and people are waiting to talk to you and thank you so much for taking the time to sit and talk with me this is wonderful all I did I sent you a Facebook message I was like you don't know me but I promise we'll have a good time talking <laughs> and we have I I would love to sit up here and do this for the rest absolutely of my, my, I'm no longer shouting over the sound of the games around me. I actually feel my voice coming back a little bit. (laughs) And thank Uh, you so much again, Brian. I will, uh, I I hope that maybe next time you're in town, we can sit and talk again. Um, Sure, sure. sure. uh, If I I end up up in Chicago or the area... All right, so that was me and Brian getting to sit and chat at the Houston Arcade and Pinball Expo. Thank you again for uh, for tuning in the, to the newest episode of Cake Bites. I promise the next episode will be out next week on a much more timely schedule. You can find more information on some of the things that Brian talked about in today's interview on CakeBites.com. You can also find links to all the places you can find me and the show online uh, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. While you're at it, you can also take a peek at uh, at the CakeBites Patreon and then... Uh, the full audio from Brian's panel from the Houston Arcade Expo will be uh, up on Patreon. Yeah. Make sure you uh, subscribe, review, uh, you know, follow, tweet to me, tell me what you think of the show, and uh, I guess we'll see you next week. 